All right, here we go. So grateful, so thankful to join together in the perfect love and light of our true identity. So grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the flow of wisdom and clarity. We join together for the purpose of remembering our wholeness and our holiness. We partner up with that higher Holy Spirit self to awaken to the truth of our being and to share the benefits with all clients, all people who are part of our life experience and all beings because we're one with them. So grateful to come together for this clarity, for this healing conversation that is deeply nourishing to our life. In gratitude, we share the benefits, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yeah. So i um just going to uh, share a couple things, and then I'd love to take your questions and see what you're up to and how you're doing with your clients. And um, so one thing is that... Uh, right now, I am planning to do a uh, another spiritual counseling training in the fall, in October, and uh, uh, another teacher training also in October. And I'm going to do something that I haven't done before, which is I am uh, going to put it out for uh, registration and... Um, if, if uh, people, enough people don't register very quickly, then I, I'm not going to do the event so I can clear my calendar for something else. Um, because the last teacher training, I had to cancel because we just didn't get enough people registered. And um, I, I really only scheduled it in March because uh, John Mundy said that he had a lot of people who would like to do it and March was a good time, but he didn't register anyone. So um, we didn't have enough people to um, really put it on effectively. So uh, just, um, yeah, gonna do it a little bit differently this time. And uh, so I'll be putting out that announcement. And as always with the Spiritual Counseling training intensive if you'd like to repeat it um we can have a five dollars five dollars five hundred dollars off to repeat if you'd like to come and repeat and and we have had people do that rainbow did that right uh right as she was getting certified she did it the same week she was getting certified she repeated and um she found it tremendously beneficial beneficial so uh, I'm glad that we can offer that. And anybody have any questions about that? Lori? Do you know where the location is going to be at or not thought about it? Yeah, it's going to be at the Honors Haven Resort where I did the retreat just last month. Yep. And Sue? Oh, let's see. What are the dates? Um, the dates of the two events are, 
let's see here. Uh, the teacher training, uh, what I am, let's see, I believe it is the 9th or the 10th of October to the 14th, and then the spiritual counseling training would be the 14th to the 20th. And the 14th is Columbus Day. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And I know that you, you would like to come, Sue, so I, you don't have to uh, register. But anybody else who's interested in coming. Um, and then what we would do is if we didn't get a quorum like in a few weeks, um, we would just refund whatever money people had paid. So, uh, and we'll have the payment plans as we always do. So, yeah. And nice to see you, Megan. Welcome. Thank Megan, you. Our latest tradition. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, uh, a few things. Well, first, let me see what questions folks have. Does anybody have anything they'd like to bring up? Questions, concerns? Sue? Um, well, a while ago you mentioned that um, when you do weddings for people, you have a, a program that they participate in and you have several uh, meetings with them before the wedding. And I wonder if you would share that with us. Sure. Um, so I've actually only done a couple of weddings. Um, and uh, uh, weddings are wonderful. For, for me, they're a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And um, so I've thought about really, uh, do you, I mean, you have a wonderful wedding business. And just so everybody knows, I'm asked Sue if she will offer a class about doing weddings. And um, just a, a little bit you can know is that uh, it, uh, some, virtually anyone can officiate a wedding if you plan ahead and make arrangements so that you can legally um, sign off on, on the wedding. So uh, I've married uh, a few couples and they've all been friends and, and very close, close to me in my life. Uh, so that's that's a blessing. Now, uh, what Sue is talking about is uh, I do counseling sessions and visioning for the marriage prior to the wedding. So I like to uh, begin working with the couple um, really when they're starting to plan their wedding uh, so that we can do a visioning for it. So... Um, if you think of in the beginning of the year in Masterful Living, we do the visioning for your life. So what I do with couples is I do a visioning for the, for the wedding, one, a cup, one or two of those visionings for the wedding. And uh, I've done visionings for people with their business, with their family even. So that, that visioning meditation, which I uh, – studied, I learned from Michael Beckwith, and then I've 
shifted it some and made it my own, um, I find is a wonderful way to get both people in the couple to align with the vision for uh, first the, the wedding and then the marriage because they're different things. And so um, uh, what is very gratifying is to have, to be at a wedding <laughs> and that you've helped the couple uh, plan to some degree uh, and uh, vision for, and they say to you uh, either there or later, that the key things that came forth in the visioning were the things that people said about the wedding uh, at the wedding so or or after the wedding so for instance i just think of one couple who in their visioning one of the things that came forward was that the the wedding would be an inspiration to their community to their family and friends and then afterwards people were saying it was so inspiring. So just seeing that the vision that they felt they were guided to actually manifested in a really beautiful way. That's very fulfilling for people to experience, just like it is for us with visioning for our life. When it's being made manifest, it's very fulfilling. So um, I pretty much ask mostly the same questions whenever I do a visioning. Sometimes I get some variations from spirit, but I find it's generally pretty consistently the same. And um, for me, the key question in there is uh, really, what is it I must become in order to fulfill the vision? People have to lock into that uh, in order to fulfill the vision. They just, that's, that's the key to it is we have to make that internal shift. So we can all have a vision of ourselves and our magnificence, but what is it I have to shift into? What is it I must become aligned with and vibrating with and, and really representing in order to, um, to bring it into being? And uh, so, and, and you can always go back to that week in Masterful Living, which this year, well, it's right on the, the, in the name of that week. It was probably week two or three um, that we did the visioning and the transcript is right there. So you can just see what those questions are, boom, 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 and go right through. Um, So there's that, I always do that. Uh, and uh, sometimes we'll do more than one visioning. And then in the counseling, it is always gonna be unique to the couple. So, um, and I don't have it, you know, I don't have any notes, I don't have any formula or anything like that. But in my experience in counseling couples, because uh, I was counseling couples before I did anybody's wedding. Um, and my experience in counseling couples consistently, people who had been together for years, uh, consistently, if I, 
they were coming to see me always because they were going through some difficult time and they felt like they needed outside mediation or um, just facilitation and having healthier, more expansive conversations. And so one of the questions that I would routinely, I routinely feel, um, I don't know, routinely is not the right word. Oh, well, whatever, that's what came out. Um, that I would ask couples is, have you ever discussed the ground rules for your relationship? And they would invariably say like, what do you mean? And I'd say, well, do you have any deal breakers? Have you ever talked about, this is a deal breaker for me? And I've never had a couple say yes. They always say, no, we've never talked about that. I said, are, and then I would say, are there any deal breakers? And then they would be like, uh, yeah, there are definitely some deal breakers. Like, right, but you've never talked about them. So there's, there are some things here that are just fundamental to uh, making this huge commitment in this relationship that you haven't ever talked about. Might want to explore some of these conversations about what are some deal breakers? What are some ground rules? What's really most important to you? Because the vast majority of couples don't ha ever have any of those kinds of conversations before they get married. They have a fantasy that it's going to, uh, that they're on the same page and they feel and think the same way. And that it's a shock to them when they don't. Um, and uh, that's just pretty normal. That's just pretty normal because people don't really want to have those conversations. They want to stay in the romantic, symbiotic fantasy of relationship. Uh, until they find out that they're not on the same page. And uh, uh, people have all kinds of different experiences of relationship. Uh, rarely, but sometimes it happens, people have a kind of a honeymoon first year, even before they get married. You know, the first year or two are just all lovey-dovey and discovery, and isn't it wonderful? And some people, the first couple years of their relationship are the hardest years. It's just one long fight and battle for power until they really learn how to love and accept each other and trust each other. So people have very different kinds of experiences of the first couple years of their relationships. Um, and the couples I've married, uh, a couple of them had been together a couple years and they were really committed. And another couple had already been together 30 years. So um, they were very committed. <laughs> and so uh, different kinds. Of, so the 30-year couple, we didn't do any counseling because uh, they, they, they had already lived together for 30 years. And so this was really, and they were a gay couple. And I married two gay couples. And the, the, the one that was together 30 years, they, it was really just now we can be legal. So uh, it was right after California said uh, gay marriage was legal. So, um, so in those counseling sessions, uh, questions arise like, are there, what's most important to you in this relationship? 
what's what what do you value most about this person in your life why why this person what is it that you treasure about them and asking them what is it you're offering them uh, and what's most important to you about uh, supporting them and loving them and being with them and uh, I there's one couple um, the husband says almost every time I see him he says you know I mean, we only see each other once a year or so, but he, he always says, you know, those counseling sessions, uh, I, I, I think of them all the time, and I'm so grateful for them. They are one of the most meaningful experiences of my whole life. And, uh, and in those sessions, we we really drilled down deeply into why they were getting married and what they really loved and treasured about each other and what they were um, looking forward to in the marriage in terms of uh, expressions of love and support for each other and why supporting the other person was so important to them and where that support of the other person was in their hierarchy of priorities. And um, we also talked about things like, what if, you know, what if someone got uh, really sick? And what if this? And what if that? We, we asked those kinds of questions, you know, uh, what if there was a, um, a huge financial uh, challenge. Uh, what if they couldn't work anymore? Couldn't earn any money anymore? How how would that be? Um, and uh, really, really important life questions. And so, in those couples that I married, they're all still married. Um, what was just brought to the fore is how deep the commitment was and that it wasn't just romantic. It was really a deep life marriage commitment to see through the, the difficulties that could potentially come and to really get them to think about what if, what if, uh, because those are the things nobody wants to think about. I mean, how, how is it that you fall in love, which I don't even believe in, but you realize that you, you deeply love someone and that you'd like to share a committed life with them? Uh, in what part of your conversation are you going to say to them, so what if I lost the use of my legs and I couldn't use my legs anymore and I had no sexual feeling anymore? How, how would uh, how would how would that be? How, how would we handle that? You know, nobody says has these hardly. I've never met anybody that has these kinds of conversations. So you're you're forcing those conversations in a very loving environment, um, and it, it it's helpful to them. It's really helpful to them. So. Um, 
And I also think that there's a difference between, um, again, these three couples that I've married. I've only done three weddings that I can recall. It's funny you think you might remember everything, but um, I could see where someone would say, uh, we'd like you to perform our wedding, we're going to be on this date, and um, we'll pay for your travel expenses to go there, and I didn't really know them, they didn't really know me. And I just married them. I could see where that would happen. But uh, um, I couldn't really do that, I don't think, for someone I really knew. I'd say, well, I can perform the ceremony. I'm legally uh, able to do that. But I'd really rather suggest we go for the whole enchilada and do the counseling and the visioning and the ceremony and all these things. Cause I, I definitely helped them to some degree um, with, with their vows, some of them, but some of them didn't need or want any help with that. So everybody's different. Megan, do you do counseling with people when you perform a wedding? Yeah, I do usually uh, two or three sessions. Some of it is starts out as actually planning the ceremony, but then we dig into a little bit, um, you know, what is it about one another and what are the challenges you've had and would you seek therapy and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so yes, we do talk about the ceremony and all of that. But in my experience, the couples that I've worked with, they, they had all their own ideas about their ceremonies. And they, they, so we didn't talk so much about that. We really talked more about the marriage. Any thoughts or questions about that? I, I will say this, and, and Sue, I, I, I'd uh, love to hear you share anything, too, because um, uh, there, are more, there are going to be more and more and more people who would like trans-denominational or spiritual weddings, uh, not religious events. And, um, and so it is, it is something you can be registered with the state to have the legal authority to sign their, their marriage license. This is not a big deal at all. Um, some of you know Karen Carruthers, and um, she's in um, Ascension Pathway, and uh, I know she's, she does weddings from time to time. Some of you know Liz Racy, she does weddings from time to time too. And uh, uh, so, uh, and you, you can have all kinds of rules and guidelines for however you want to do that and get your own, uh, you can put that on your website. We're getting ready to launch the first websites, uh, the spiritual counseling websites, which uh, I think you all know about that. Maybe Megan doesn't. Yeah. So those are the, uh, we've designed a template for the spiritual counselors to have a simple 
but effective website. And uh, Lana is uh, having hers made right now, and that'll be the, the first template, and you can all see that and then decide if you'd like one. And we're doing it at cost, so the ministry's not making any money from it. But I, I just wish to offer that because webs, a, a good, effective website can be really be expensive. And uh, there are a lot of not so good, not so effective websites out there that cost more than they should. And if you don't have the bandwidth to do it yourself or you have some nephew or somebody who's gonna do it for you, it's, um, it's just a pain in the butt, really. It's, it's a lot of work and it's, uh, so, um, but, uh, yeah, you could definitely have a wedding business. Assume you, do you ever fly anywhere or do you do all yours local? Sorry. Oh, I'll just let you do it. I, I, we were canceling each other out there. Um, I, I usually, uh, I did one time fly, um, and you need to register in the state where you're going. Right. Um, and, but mostly if I've done things out of state, well, I've, I, I'm also registered in Ohio, which is where I came from originally. Um, um, but most of the weddings that I've done out of state, uh, I've driven to. They're close enough that I can drive to. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to do. And um, I definitely, um, I, I do know people who get flown all over the place to go to weddings. I mean, it's, to me, it's a lot uh, to do that kind of thing, that's that's a lot of time and energy, and to charge uh, appropriately for that kind of thing, um, then you feel like, oh boy, you become a big expense if they don't have a lot of money, and so that's why I just I don't. Um, it's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So for any of you, it could be a wonderful thing that you do, you know, and you can put it on your website and uh, we can do that class with Sue and get down the basics. And, um, you know, when you first are doing it, um, it, it can feel like it's a big responsibility because it is. It is a big responsibility. Uh, you are, people are going to always remember that wedding. And you have a huge impact in whether it goes well or not. I mean, obviously, if there's a drunken uncle who's had sex with the niece and it all comes out, that's not your fault. But you could have an you could have a huge impact in whether or not it becomes a nightmare or just a side story, you know, depending on your consciousness and how you're holding it together. There, um, I've I've not had any of those kinds of issues, but um, I'm sure they exist. Sue, have you seen anything uh, wackadoo like that? 
Right. You know, and some people it would be not a bonus to them because they don't want to talk about that. You know, I mean, you know, some people marriage vows are, there's just no, there's no sense of sanctity or sacredness. And, um, that's just not part of what they're doing, which is fine. That's, that's, that's their prerogative to have their life be that way. So, um, Anybody else have any thoughts or questions about it? Anything else going on that you'd like to, to ask about? Arba? Thank you. My question um, refers to uh, having a session with a client and when, let me go back. So I had a session with a client and she hadn't slept for more than 24 hours. So we're having this session and um, she's feeling challenged and she's not really able to retain the information so we completed the session and I said I'd follow up with her, but the sense I got afterwards was that I could have stopped the session and said, you know, maybe it would be better to do it another time. Um, so I guess just if you have any thoughts, ideas, guidance about when you begin a session or you're in the middle of a session and you feel that it may not be beneficial to finish it. Does that make sense? It does. Um, trying to recall, I, I, I've definitely had sessions even with people who were high. Um, I if I felt that it was a negative impact to continue I would I would reschedule or do something to address that I don't recall ever having that occur I have had a situation maybe a couple of times where someone had booked a 90-minute session and after a half an hour to an hour, it was clear that the best thing would be to wrap it up and to say, you know what, let's put that half hour in the bank and then next time you'd like to uh, uh, you, you can use that half hour in the future um, it, it's only happened a couple of times in 19 years so it's not like something that and and I would say maybe people will 
make use of it or they won't. Um, it's some people would, some people wouldn't. But sometimes after an hour or so, you can just feel like, you know, I, I think it would be best for you if we say we're complete now and I'll pray. And then you ruminate about these things, you sit with it, and then let's, let's follow up and have that half hour. Um, I, I wouldn't do that very often. Um, and in part because, uh, you know, I, I charged, I used to charge a different rate, like for 90 minute session than for a half hour session. And I think, I can't even remember how it works now. But um, so, but if, if I just felt like the person was too tired to really do much of anything, I would just take the session down about 10 notches and just meet them right where they were, you know, and not make it some kind of deep cathartic session. It's just going to be, it's going to be lightweight because that's, they're bringing me half a brain. But I would see for me, and this is what I talk about in the training, the prayer is everything. The prayer, the two prayers, the prayer at the beginning and the prayer at the end, that's where the healing is. It's in that. And the conversation is another thing because I'm not the healer. Their consciousness is the healer and spirit is the healer and it's not me. So I don't mind sitting there with someone who's kind of half tired or something like that because I don't need them to be super present to me or perform for me. I can just meet them where they are. I'd be very happy to just sit with them. They could have a nap and I can pray and I'm, I'm good because I'll be so supercharged from that prayer and they will benefit from the prayer without having to talk or say anything. So that that's kind of how I would say, um, Now, Vanessa, you've had uh, uh, many, many years of working as a therapist. Have, uh, what would you what ha, what would you say in that situation? I'm curious. Um, so, I loved what you said about meeting people where they are. And because uh, as you were saying that, Jennifer, I was thinking, particularly with adolescents, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. What's going to be walking in the door with adolescents and I have had because a lot of times I do these guided imagery sessions with adolescents because they don't really talk straight on and uh, they fall asleep and I oh. guess listening to you it's heartwarming because I it's sort of just confirmation for me and I've I just sit there in prayer and I say you know I have that effect on people I put them to sleep and then they laugh and I laugh and but I you know depending on what portal the client came to me through sometimes i would tell them i'm just do i'm sitting there and i'm holding them in prayer and other times i don't have to tell them that wouldn't be their language but that's what i'm doing and then that's the end and it's it's i think it's that meeting people where they are and knowing that something's moving through me and it's healing and i remember for a while i would feel kind of I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I was thinking that's it. 
just sitting here. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Pretty much I'm holding that consciousness, allowing that consciousness to come through and knowing the truth about them. And that's it. Yeah. And, and I do think that's well said. And I do think that it's, um, you know, when you, you've done a lot of counseling, you, you it's, you're just, you, you're fine with what is. When I first started counseling, so let's say my, in my first 50 to 100 sessions, I definitely had a desire for people to have breakthroughs and results um, that, and I, I, I wanted that because I wanted to be the, um, the superstar therapist, counselor. I did. You know, my ego was definitely involved in it for years. And I, I really wanted people to walk out and say, oh, my God, she changed my life. Oh, my God, that was so amazing. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And uh, it wasn't until I really healed my mind about how it all works and I had the humility and to just really, truly just be of service and it's not about me. And, and uh, uh, then... Um, that just fell away. And, but, but I think it's pretty normal, though. I mean, didn't, didn't you all feel that in the beginning of counseling, that you really have an attachment to whether or not people solve their problem and they're, they're healed and they're happy, and then they write a testimonial for you and they say, OMG, I was such a loser, and now, you know, I'm a multimillionaire and married to the, my dream person and have the cutest dog in the world, and I just helped build an orphanage in Africa. But, uh, and I couldn't have done any of it without her. And those Team Lori sweatshirts are flying off the shelf. That's right, you know? Miracle worker, yeah. Well, I loved what you said about the prayer being, um, you know, the most important portion. And I wouldn't have probably noticed the difference except for she's a regular client that I see. So, um, but I know that during the opening prayer and I could feel during the closing prayer that she had benefit, great benefit. So, um, it was really helpful for you to to describe that and then how the conversation is kind of the second is a separate sort of thing so thank you very much yeah yeah i'm sure too that i've had clients fall asleep in a session uh i, I don't remember it specifically but it seems like something that has happened and um you know that's fine. It's totally fine. It's it's uh, so if that's what occurred, that would be fine too. Yeah, Lori. I just want to check in and make sure. Does that feel complete to you, Araba? Is it okay if I ask a different question? Okay, thank you. Um, because this has come up with a couple of people, um, would you mind sharing just maybe some good tips on writing their bios for the spiritual counseling website? 
You bet. Um, one thing to think of is who is your ideal client, right? So this is a question I get asked by marketing experts on a regular basis. Who's your ideal client? And so I'll just answer that for me. I have two ideal clients and one is not preferred over the other. It's just these are my two favorite clients. Just my own personal thing. I'm a person and I have personal things. And so my, and you are all my ideal client. No, truly. So one of my ideal client is the, the person who really um, has a, a strong calling and they know it and they would like to feel truly qualified and competent to be exceptional as a spiritual student and sharing with others uh, and, and possibly having a spiritual profession or just really being in leadership in their company, in their family, in their community, uh, how, however their life is designed. But someone who really is interested in um, spirituality and, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's more than an interest for them. It's a real passion. And that's me. That's me. So I like to have clients and, and folks and participants in classes who are like me. Um, and then the other client I, I uh, am uh, passionate for and have a preference for is someone who feels um, lost and just like there's a huge block, like they're never going to figure it out. They have really um, just... They, they feel unworthy, deeply unworthy, and deeply guilty, and deeply ashamed, and um, tremendous fear, and they really are struggling, deeply struggling, uh, just to get through each day. And uh, because those people, if they feel called to work with me, uh, then uh, I know Spirit has sent them, Either way, the spirit has sent them. And, uh, and you know, that's what it says. And I, I wrote about this in my blog today, what it says in the manual for teachers about um, your students have been assigned to you. And uh, so I know if they come into a class or, or something with me that uh, they, they can totally break through all that belief and that they can have miraculous healing, extraordinary healing, not because of me, but I'm so, so happy to hold the form uh, with them, to hold the, the, the structure of healing with them. And that's why I, I like to ha I have built all these structures in these classes, not because I'm a structured person and an organized person, because I'm, I'm not really, I'm very disciplined, but um, 
trying to maintain all those different things is challenging for me. But I know that the tighter you make the container, this is what spirit taught me, the tighter you make the container for people to come into, the more successful they can be. And I, I can tell you that uh, I, I learned this in an interesting way because when I was in film school in the graduate screenwriting program at USC, um, in my uh, 101 screenwriting class, uh, one of the first assignments we had to do uh, was we had to write a, um, a uh, we had to write two scenes, like a before and an after, I think. And in one op option, we, it could just be about anything we wanted it to be about. And then in another one, the assignment was very narrow parameters. And I learned in that, that the one that had very narrow parameters was the easiest one to write. When it was unlimited, it was harder to write. Um, and, uh, cause just anything was possible. So your mind just starts to float. But if you're like, okay, it has to be these two characters and this is what's happening with them, then boom, you just can start right into writing them. And in a certain way with Masterful Living and Finding Freedom, these are the structures. We're going to move through these structures and you're going to work on your stuff within these structures. It just, I think that's, Spirit had me build them this way so that people will um, hold to the structure when their mind wants to rebel. You know, their mind wants to say, I can't do this, I can't do this, but I've got a mastery circle today, so I'm going. You know, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, but I've got a prayer partner call tomorrow and I'm not going to let them down, so I'm going. Um, and, you know, it's, it's those calling people back to those structures all the time that, that helps them. So um, why am I saying that? Um, You mentioned the, the tighter the make the container for healing, and then I didn't get the rest of it, but that's where you were going. Yeah, uh, so talking about the bio, now I'm remembering, oh, I'm talking about the bio, <laughs> how to write your bio. So think, really think and feel into, you can choose your ideal customer. Now, I made a deal, I'm not turning anybody away. And, um, uh, and fortunately, I haven't really had to, though I have said to people, I think somebody else can help you more than I can. Um, uh, I, I, it's really helpful to understand what your ideal customer thinks about and the words that they use and the kinds of things that they talk about and what their challenges are. Because um, sometimes when we're starting out as counseling, you just, you just want to have any client. Good Lord, just give me anybody. You know, I just want to practice. I just want to make a living. I just, what, you know, totally, no problem. I understand that. But a lot of people, as they go along, they kind of develop a niche. 
and it's usually related to their own transformation. So for me, my niche is it's self-forgiveness, really. It's working with the constant judging of the mind and transforming that. And fortunately, that applies to every problem everybody has. So it's, it's, it's a niche, but it's, a very, uh, it's an all-inclusive niche. Um, uh, and uh, so languaging in your bio to uh, attract the the kind to, to let the ideal client know that you have uh, expertise with their concerns so uh, for instance if you have a, a lot of experience with 12-step program you know put that in there and say you know say why that you know what you know about that um so for me too one of the things i have in my own bio is that um i offer programs for uh training people in spiritual professions so i love to work with ministers and counselors and i i have even before I was a minister, I've always liked to work with people who are ministers and counselors. Uh, and part of it is, is because I really, I don't judge where they are. And I find that ministers and counselors, if they can come to you and they can just totally say, you know, I feel ashamed about this and I feel worried about that. And it's not very spiritual and I'm, I'm judging my clients or they can just be honest and real. There is such a relief for them to, to be able to have an honest conversation about these things. So that's a lot of what people would like, is they'd like to be able to have an honest conversation about how they feel. So I think in someone looking for a spiritual counselor, because insurance is not going to cover it, so it's in a sense it's a luxury for them. Uh, what they really would like to know is, can you help them? Uh, with their unique issues. And so really saying, you know, what you are interested in helping people with uh, helps them. What, what I, now, I refer people all the time to the spiritual counselors. And what I advise people to do is I say, read the bios, look at their pictures, and see who you resonate with. Because a lot of times people will say, do you want to refer somebody? And I'm like, no, no, just read the bios, look at the pictures, uh, and uh, take a look. You know, sometimes somebody will say they've got an issue with their spouse, has uh, got an addiction, or their child's in an addiction. I'll say, well, there's some people that have a 12-step um, experience. You, you may wish to, to, to look for those people in the spiritual counselors. So um, I think there is value in really putting it out there, what you're most interested in. You know, because here's the thing is, let's just say, um, you, you, you're an artist, 
you know, and uh, or you've worked in academia or something like that, you're going to bring particular kinds of understanding and expertise to that. And people will pick up on that. So that's that's helpful information. So like Carla, you could put in there that you're a poet, you know, for instance. For somebody else who might say, like Laura, you might say, you know, I'm a dog lover. And uh, that, that for, so, for someone that would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a dog lover. And people pick up on things subconsciously, too. So I think that um, when I was in ministerial school at the Ernest Holmes Institute, one of the things that they were endeavoring to um, make important about the Ernest Holmes Institute was here you have this great mystic, uh, Ernest Holmes, one of the greatest mystics of certainly the last century uh, and they had such an intellectual approach to ministry it was not the Ernest Holmes approach at all it's like we're just gonna put Ernest Holmes on the door but this has nothing to do with Ernest Holmes and uh, I didn't like that because I, I was interested in a mystical experience and they were interested in an academic intellectual experience. And I it kept saying, well, what does this have to do with ministry? This, is, this just doesn't have anything to do with it. And they said very clearly, we're interested in graduating people who come into school with a bachelor's and they leave here with a master's and their congregation will know that this is an educated person. And I thought, yeah, because when Jesus was gathering fishermen and things like that, they were like, dude, you're not even a real rabbi. Where's your credentials? Like, what? Why would I follow you? You don't even have a degree in anything, you know? Uh, I, I just thought, oh, God, what, what are you thinking? Why are we, you know, proliferating this, this consciousness of intellectualism? It's not helpful. It's the opposite of Ernest Holmes. But that's why I resigned in protest. And then when they changed some things, I went back. And I made a big stick about it. And that's how I am. But um, so think about really what it is that you can put in your experience that your clients can relate to. You know, because someone, for instance, someone could say, um, uh, I've been in, interested in spirituality my whole life. I'm very intuitive. And uh, I have a high school degree. And I have uh, five children, and uh, I have three husbands, and I'm from a family of eight people, and I have a passion for supporting people and living their very best life. 
And there are a whole bunch of people that would be like, oh, a mama bear. I want that. I need a mama bear. Somebody who loves people. I really would like that. And other people would be like, they don't even have, they have a high school, what? They could, I could never have a conversation with them that I wouldn't feel good. I could outsmart them at every turn. That would, might be their, their intellectual thought about it. So I say all of that, and then I, I, I will say to you what it says in the, the Manual for Teachers um, in, in, uh, uh, that I was, let's see, wrong thing. I'll pull it up here too so you can see it. I'll share the screen. So it's this here, chapter two in the manual for teachers. Certain pupils have been assigned to each of God's teachers and they will begin to look for him as soon as he has answered the call. They were chosen for him because the form of the universal curriculum that he will teach is best for them in view of their level of understanding. So they were chosen for him, right? So we don't have anything to do with it. They don't have anything to do with it. I, I take from this, you know, Jesus, like there's some council, some hierarchy that's making these decisions, which is fine with me. It says his pupils have been waiting for him for his coming is certain. Again, it is only a matter of time. Once he is chosen to fulfill his role, they are ready to fulfill theirs. Time waits on his choice, but not on whom he will serve. When he is ready to learn, the opportunities to teach will be provided for him. And that, my friends, has been my experience 100%. And I could not tell you how many people have said to me, when you said this, I just knew, like, oh, you can really help me. Or when I heard your voice, I, there was something I just knew. I mean, people have said that to me so many times. And I remember when I heard Venerable's voice, uh, it, within a minute of hearing her voice, I just looked at my friend and I said, she really knows. She really knows. Like, where did she come from? Who is she? And, you know, that just, I was like, oh my, what? So we, we just trust. And I wouldn't get too hung up on the bio. But if anybody would like, you know, me to, to help you with it, um, uh, or if you ever want to bring a specific question, uh, I, I can do that. But I think people want to know you're a real person and that you're having a real experience. And generally, I think they, they want to know that you're not an academic intellectual that is going to give them some bullshit that you, they read it, that you read in a book, you know? Like, I would never want to go to Wayne Dyer for counseling. I mean, he was a therapist and everything, but... Um, he just didn't strike me as someone who really 
was living it or uh, it was very intellectual. He, and I, you know, good for him. He was a field researcher. He'd pick his research topic. He'd do his research and then he'd write his dissertation. And that's, that's what he did over and over and over again. And he would do it through, he liked to tell stories. And he could tell a story. And he had that sonorous voice, you know, that you could just listen to till the cows came home. And, um, but, the, you know, you didn't have a sense that he really, I didn't have a sense that he really, really knew what he was talking about. Otherwise, why was he constantly doing research? I don't know. I mean, if you found the truth, what are you looking for? But there you go. You know, but when he was uh, sick, really sick, he he didn't, he, I mean, I don't know exactly what he did, but he started looking for who's going to help me heal, which I understand. But with all that research, the healer is here, right? Not, not, and not to judge Wayne Dyer, but I just think a lot of people want, would, would have loved if Wayne Dyer was had on his website, he's doing counseling sessions, $5,000 for an afternoon or something. He would have had a long list of people. Every celebrity, everybody would have gone to do that. You know, but would they have actually gotten good counseling? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So credentials. You could write a best-selling book, that, but that doesn't mean you know diddly squat, really. It just doesn't. Can you really help another person? Megan and then Lori? Yeah, it's just, um, it's occurring to me. I'm not sure that I want to work with clients who are attracted to the fact that I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister <laughs> because I'm, I'm stepping out of that theology. And so, I mean, I don't think I should not mention it. It is a big part of my, you know, what brought me to this point. But at the same time, I, that's not who I see being able to help the most. Yeah, so say what you have a passion for. And it doesn't have to be A Course in Miracles. But it is. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. 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 yeah, so if you can say authentically that you know A Course in Miracles works, and, or something like that. I mean, that's what I do, but I, I, I think there's an unlimited number of people that can say the same thing. And uh, people would like to know that it works. They, they, it, I mean, that's my whole thing, is that living A Course of Miracles. So uh, helping people to really live it is really uh, what, what people would like help with. So, yeah. Yeah, so you can say that. Uh, people like to know that you have experience. And uh, so put that in there. You know, and there are people, like I read about people who have an expertise in counseling people in a particular issue, but counseling is not their expertise. That issue is their expertise. So uh, you can think of issues that you have had in your life that you've really 
had a healing with and and put that in your your bio like some people have really had tremendous healing with their children or or their parents and things like that Emily says I had a mentor once that said credentials are like the tail on a pig they tell you nothing about the quality of the bacon that is great yeah thank you Emily Lori, you had a question, and then we're going to close. Oh, my gosh. I was just going to share two things. One, thank you so much for bringing up the ideal client because I came up with what my three ideal clients were. So thank you for that. That, like, all of a sudden it was like click, and something clicked. Um, and if anyone would like to come to the Spiritual Counseling Community Call that th is this Friday and you'd like to continue this conversation, um, please feel free. And the other thing, I took the retreat with you in Sedona. And one of the most, to talk about credentials, one of the most powerful um, experiences that you had us, that you gave to us, for me, was when someone asked that question and you said, all right, let me try it both ways and you tell me. So you like walked into the room and you introduced yourself and you went through all of your credentials. And then you stopped and then you left the room and then you came back in and you connected and you started doing what you called ETR, earning the right to to talk to like to talk to people and it wasn't until that moment that I felt the energy because in my mind I was always taught list all your credentials say what you've done impress people and that I realized was all about me and the the earning the right is like what benefits are you really giving me and why am I going to sit here and listen to what you have to say or why would I seek you out so I just wanted to say thank you because that was really, that experience was really, really helpful. Yeah. Thank you for that too, Lori, because like, if I think about who, if I had to choose, like I was up against it, you have to choose a counselor right now. And this counselor you're going to work with for the next year. And you, you told me about some, like I could work with Deepak Chopra or I could work with, uh, someone who had some kind of experience working with um, lost cause children or something. I'd be like, you know, I think, give me the lost cause lady. You know, I really, yeah, because she's going to demonstrate something from the heart to me that is going to change me forever. Whereas Deepak, I think I could just listen to his tapes. I don't. I don't think I need to sit with him, you know? I just don't think so. God bless him, but nah. I think he'd be looking at his phone half the time, and I don't think so. <laughs> so, <laughs> whereas that lady, she'd be right there with me, you know? So, she'd probably smell like chocolate chip cookies or something. So, um, And we have to trust that people will follow their heart. So let's put our heart into it. Yeah, and, and it's time for us to close. So uh, see you, Sue. And uh, what else? Anything else? Hmm.
Yeah, it's, it's such a blessing to sit with people and to be able to rely upon the prayer and their own inner guide that brought them to sit with you. Really, really trusting that is, it's trust, you know, number one characteristic of the teachers of God, just trusting that, that that has been the thing that helped me so much. No, you know, doubt is, uh, what did I write down? Doubt is like a thief. Uh, let's see, I write about that for a blog. Um, so no doubt. So let us be grateful and thankful that we've been led and guided to be together, led and guided to follow our passion, led and guided to answer the call. So grateful to know that all are called and that we are being truly qualified to be of service in the highest and best way and that we are relaxing into the answering of that call and relying upon spirit to clear away the debris, to clear away everything that stands in the way of our fulfilling the call. We are grateful and thankful that our clients are being led to us and we can have trust in faith in the innate love intelligence that is in them, meeting the innate love intelligence that is in us. And we are choosing to have this trust and faith. We are grateful for our ever-increasing trust and faith. We are grateful and thankful to live a miraculous life and to demonstrate the all good of God. We are grateful and thankful that this call to our holiness is being fully answered and expressed. We are grateful, grateful, grateful to share the benefits of our healing and expansion with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let the healing be. We let the prosperity be. We let the joy be revealed. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And Megan, can you just stay for a minute? That would be great. And uh, nice to be with everybody. Thank you so much. Oh, the recording's still going. Why did it not stop? Let's just stop it.